Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Young Professional African Edition with your host, Jonathan Rwanika and Shanil Mudli, equipping you with all the right tools to jumpstart your career in an African context by sharing experiences and spreading the gospel of information. With original music brought to you by Africa's own, Yunil Badiachi. Neil, uh, it feels like forever. It feels like we haven't spoken in a while. And uh, that's largely uh, to our listeners who probably have noticed by now uh, of our changed format where we have uh, removed analysis at the end of every episode. And we're now analyzing episodes in batches. Uh, We think this will, you know, make our episodes a lot shorter, you know, and uh, allow us to just uh, unpack multiple episodes in, in one episode uh, like this one. So, Shinyo, we had an exciting lineup for episode one, two, and three. Uh, we had Boss, Boss Babes of South Africa with Coveney Moodley. Uh, we had episode two with Michael Macklin. And we had uh, episode three with the founder of Coronet, Coronet uh, Blockchain, Shadrick uh, Kubiani. Amazing episodes. Do you, do you mind just taking us through uh, from episode one um, going forward? What was particularly interesting to you and what, what struck a chord and what did you unpack? Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. And as you said, it is good to be back. And uh, I hope this everyone, everyone enjoys the new format of um, shorter episodes so that we, we don't take too much of your day, but we take up more, more days in the year. So <clears throat> let's, let's see how that works out. It's uh, pretty cool. So I think, yeah, in terms of in terms of the firm, uh, the first episode, um, Kovini Kovini Mudli, uh, Boss Babes of SA. What what I found really interesting, yeah, and I think you know, taking a, a more macro view of it is digital platforms in general and how do they strengthen um, how do they strengthen bonds between like minded individuals. So if you look at that platform, it's focused on women empowerment, women doing, um, you know, big things, whether it be in the business world, social aspects, whatever it is, and extrapolating that and thinking, well, you know, other platforms like, you know, combining entrepreneurs with venture capitalists or angel investors, how do these sort of platforms help? And also asking the question, are they really helpful? Because we also see a lot of people, uh, you know, posting hate comments and those sort of things on these platforms, or is it more hurtful to the entrepreneur or to the um, people involved collectively in, in, in this different platform. I think that was my, my first thought on it. And uh, what do you think, Jonathan? Yeah, you know, Shneel, I think you uh, expressed that uh, wonderfully. And I think I also had a focus on digital platforms when I heard that episode. Uh, but hearing, hearing you speak now, uh, I'm actually thinking, I think online platforms are actually uh, tend to be a reflection of of how reality also tends to be, you know, and in, in how we socialize uh, individuals also tend to, it has positive and negative effect, effects, right? Being in a group of people where people share things uh, and you're like-minded. Uh, there are positive and negatives and you, you always hope that the positives outweigh the negatives. And I think uh, online platforms, particularly uh, because of like, online uh, because you can mask your identity around uh, an, an, uh, a persona that doesn't exist. 
uh, it is easier for people to behave in ways that they, they don't normally beha behave uh, in real life. So then, you know, so the negative effects of socializing in real life tend to be heightened when we're talking about online communities. But I think they are, uh, you know, especially like Boss Babes, uh, they have managed to create a platform uh, which seems like a, it focuses on the things that that better people, you know, I don't know if they get like negative comments in the comment sections or, you know, stuff like that. But in terms of like creating a platform where people can, other women can learn and be inspired, you know, they're at least reaching that goal. You know, so I think the positives in that case outweigh the negative. Yeah. 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 Sorry. I was just going to say definitely agree there. But also what I really like, Chanel, about about episode one, was that inspiration through storytelling because that resonates with us because that's exactly how we we do our episodes as well you know what are your thoughts on on that yeah and and you know the the more you or when i think about it uh, in a little bit i guess more detail or a bit deeper when we when we talk about storytelling through um, our platforms there's different ways of doing that so like you know for us it's it's through insights and even though we're doing similar thing or it, it, it resonates with us that we are focused on storytelling when we look at um, you know that digital platform boss babes what's, what's quite interesting is that they found common ground um, with with experiences of, of other women so you know things like um, sexism in the worth uh, in, in, in the workplace or or all of those sort of things and they found a way to turn those sort of common ground in, enemies into more um, positive things. So, you know, in, instead of looking at it negatively and saying, I'm on the back foot, this, 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 how do we group together? How do we remain positive? And how do we collectively face these, um, you know, these, these different biases that we, that we yeah. are faced with every day? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was a lot of great insights. I like how you say we do, we, we, we are more focused on insights and now we try to democratize insights on our platform. Uh, but just to segue, uh, episode two, you know, Michael Macklin uh, came came through with, uh, and I think our focus there was on his uh, purely his career trajectory and uh, how he managed to get in the position that he was in. Uh, and there were a few points, you know, for me, I really liked the fact uh, that there was an emphasis on a theme that we're const constantly talking about, which is the value of extracurricular activities in universities and in high school you know things like enactus i remember i had friends that used to uh, jo uh join organizations like enactus which were like inter social enterprise uh, uh competitions and they'll learn how to run social enterprises how to ex uh, assist existing social enterprise and uh if i look at those people now their career career trajectory you know they're doing very well in corporate they're like senior business um analysts so they're they, you know because of so those nuanced skills they might have gained uh, in these programs and uh, things like university debating the fact that michael macklin was headhunted at a world debating championship by mckinsey you know shows you that uh, you know we can't be just focused on studying when we're in a university to really accrue the benefits uh, especially if you go to a top institution, uh, the benefits uh, tend to lie in, you know, outside the classroom and how you socialize at those institutions. Uh, and I think that's always important to note. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think we've seen that more and more, um, I, at least I have, 
the more I, I you know, climb the ladder, I guess, or, or spend more time in corporate corporate journeys, the people that are highest up or climbing the fastest or, you know, just have a lot of charisma around them. They've often been involved in a whole bunch of different things, um, whether it be, you know, in high school or, or any of these extracurricular activities, whether it was varsity, high school, et cetera. So I think there's a lot of skills that you learn there, soft skills that you learn there that um, are invaluable in the workplace. So uh, I think the mistake that we make, and, and I think, yeah, that that everyone often makes is that knowledge is the only, or, or it's the biggest factor for your career trajectory. And that that really isn't the case. Yeah, I agree. And, and just lastly, my, my, my point on, on that episode was asking lots of questions. I liked the fact that he, he, was, he studied a non-business degree, so he was expected not to know anything, which sort of put him in a very unique, privileged position where you could ask so many questions. You know, and I think we're often shy to ask questions, uh, you know, even in university and in, in class, you, you find that certain people that ask questions are usually the same people. You know, I remember I used to laugh. There was this one girl, uh, I think she was called Carla in my class. And she used to ask so many questions. I was like, how does this girl not know anything? You know, and at the end of the year, she was second in our class. I was like, ah, <laughs> it was like a life lesson for me. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I I wish I actually did that more. I was one of those people who uh, kept quiet when I was at uh, university. You know, I just sat there stupidly wasting my time. Not engaging with the material. Yeah, yeah. So so I think it was maybe embarrassment or whatever. And then I used to go home and learn things. And then I'd go and like email, you know, email the tutors or something afterwards. But I wouldn't, um, you know, I wouldn't ask something like in the class, which which I think I should have done more. Um, And another interesting point for me, which, you know, I just wanted to to bring up or or get your view on is when we ask questions, what is like, you know, what's your thought process around that? Because um, I I, I remember and, and this like I think it was one of my finance lecturers at university. He said, don't ever come to me and tell me I don't understand the section. Go through it and pinpoint exactly which part of it you don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I think there's a sort of the negatives of mass education, right? You know, yeah. just trying to streamline uh, processes <laughs> to your disadvantage. Um, but uh, I don't know if you'd finished phrasing that question, Chanel, but I think I was about to answer it. Uh, try to yeah, yeah. So no, I, I mean, I was just... Yeah, I was just going to say, so, you know, like, what's your thought process around that? Do you, do you mm. generally say, I don't understand the section? Do you go into the detail? So I think you, you got the gist of it there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no way in sync, Chanel, don't worry. Um, so, yeah, no, that's a very interesting question, Chanel. Uh, it's a brilliant question, actually. And uh, when I think about how I ask questions, you know, I think I focus on trying to remove, to provide clarity for me to, to follow. You know, for example, when I'm in a meeting, you know, I'm in, I'm in retail now. Uh, I work in retail, a retail company, and I'm the, often the youngest person in the room. And there are people with 20 years, 30 years, 40 years retail experience. And to give you an example, maybe someone says the phrase, uh, the reason why sales are down is because the RPCM uh, is low and uh, the rebates did not come in uh, as expected. You know, the, how I'll break that down would be like to Firstly, what's RPCM, you know, because these people are probably abbreviating these things because they have so much experience. They don't need to be 
you know, so I start with, with that. And then secondly, what's the relationship between rebates and sales? Because, you know, they just, it's sort of an assumed knowledge. And that statement assumes that I already know, but I don't, you know. So I also clarify that uh, before I move on. Uh, uh, but obviously in real life, you know, it tends to be a little bit more complicated. Maybe the meeting will be short and people are trying to move quickly, but, but always try to clarify so that you can also follow uh, and not leave a little bit still confused. Yeah, yeah, definitely um, agree with you there. And then I think, um, you know, moving on to the, to the final episode or the third episode that we've had um, with, with Shadrach uh, around Coronate blockchain, you know, tech company, blockchain, doing some really cool things um, on the African continent. What, what were your initial thoughts on that? I think the first thing was uh, blockchain as a supply chain solution for Africa. You know, I've, I found that particularly interesting, you know, because of the benefits of blockchain and because of the, you know, he articulated it perfectly, you know, the African brand, uh, how it's not as, um, it doesn't have the same like pool and power as uh, uh, other like European brands and stuff. And blockchain could actually enhance that certainty, enhance that trust that allows our uh, manufacturers to, you know, maybe manufacture more and uh, have more customers because there is that established trust. But what are your thoughts, Janiel, on, on, on that um, interview? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so I found that uh, particularly interesting. And, and maybe just to point on what you're saying first, um, for, for anyone who doesn't know, one of the you know, big benefits of blockchain is that without getting into the detail of it, it allows you to verify information um, that, and, it, and it makes it extremely credible. And you know, if you think about one of the use cases for that, I, I remember there was a tech team in, in, in Cape Town that were trying to create a blockchain for streaming services or for, for, um, for movies. So essentially they could track if somebody was pirating something or anything like that. So you can, so you can really verify information. And, and I think what's important when you were talking now about you know, building a stronger brand for SA or for Africa in that we can then track the supply chain, track where everything is coming from. The first thing that popped into my head was, um, I'm, I'm not sure if you saw the recent thing with, um, I think it was Ghana, around uh, cocoa manufacturing and saying that they want to they want to start supplying it they told the, the swiss government that they want to start becoming um you a know, chocolate they actually want to start yeah a chocolate manufacturer not just cocoa mm. cocoa seller to, to to europe so that would be interesting because the biggest issue that i would foresee in that circumstance is that we don't have the the, the brand behind us you know toblerone is always going to be better than i don't know whatever local brand we have in africa or that's the perceived value of it yeah. So how do we use blockchain to sort of help build our brand in that way? That would be an interesting uh, use case for it. Mm. Mm. Okay. And you, Shneel, what, what are your extracts from that episode? Yeah. So, so I think for me, another um, a point from, from oh, that, that I quite enjoyed with Shadrach is that he, and he, and he breaks it down so nicely with, with great examples. He, I, I often thought, at least when you're an entrepreneur, you always hear, entrepreneur wears many hats you need to do all of these things and and for me that always gave me the idea that I need to do everything myself if I ever decided to do that but he he says it so nicely that like you know he's in a very tech business but either you need to have the knowledge your co-founder needs to have the knowledge or you need to have a partner that you can outsource to in uh, but like a longer running partner which for him was IBM and and I think that's the great way to think about it um, you know from a strategy perspective as an entrepreneur you just need to manage and, and find the correct partners who can give you the best value 
in terms of delivering the product to your client. That that was a really, really interesting point for me as well. I don't know what your thoughts on that were. Yeah, it was brilliant. And he also used a, a great examples, uh, which was amazing. His entire interview, you know, he always reinforced uh, his logic mm. with the real life examples. It was brilliant. Um, but maybe just uh, before we, we sign off, uh, Shinio, you know, blockchain, you know, I understand what it is, but like, you know, just break it down for us, maybe using an example, just the technical aspect of, you know, I just I understand the nodes, etc. But just for a layman, can you simplify what blockchain is for us? Yeah, sure. So, so I think the easiest example for me or, or the way that I best understood it is if we, if we look at the purpose of a bank, right? So if uh, me and you enter into a transaction, the bank is essentially there to, because, because we don't trust each other. So that's, that's essentially the, the role of the bank in the yeah. transaction. The bank will then say, okay, so I'm paying Jonathan 100 Rand for let's say a CD uh, or a t-shirt because uh, you're in retail now. So I'm paying 100 Rand for a t-shirt. The bank will then go to my account and say, okay, Chanel does have 100 Rand um, of funds. And then they'll go to your account and say, okay, Jonathan's a real person. He does have an account. He's able to receive this transaction. He's able to get it, um, et cetera, et cetera. I then pay you the money. You then receive the money. And the bank um, you know, can walk away from the transaction. So they've, they've given us trust that uh, me and you are real people. No one's going to cheat anyone. Money's coming from me. It's going to you. What happens with blockchain is that there's, you know, blockchain miners all over the world mining a whole bunch of um, different data. So in this example, certain aspects um, are being mined, you know, simultaneously. And that's what builds these little blocks on the blockchain. So they're verifying that my data is correct, that I'm a real person, mm. that I've got a hundred rand that, you know, I have a bank account that my bank account is with this person. So there's a whole bunch of different layers of verification that people are like mining and mining and mining and mining. And once that gets, or or, or that, that um, block is, is fully mined, it then joins onto the blockchain to say like, okay, cool. This has been verified from a whole bunch of different directions. This information is true and it holds boom. It's now on the blockchain. And almost immediately afterwards, somebody is doing the same thing on your end somebody's doing something in the middle as it's transferred. You know what I mean? So, and that's how you build the, the different blocks on the blockchain. Wow. Multiple independent verification. Brilliant. Yeah. And, and another, sorry, just a quick one on that. What's, what's very interesting about the, the use case for blockchain is that the only way to, to, to really hack a transaction. So for example, if I sent you a hundred rand and I wanted it to be a thousand rand and I tried to change that is for you to hack that specific block for 100 Rand in every single preceding block before that simultaneously. So it's almost impossible. I mean, I don't know much about quantum computing, but any computer right now in the world would not have the power to sort of hack into that specific chain as it's being created and everyone, um, every, every past blockchain preceding that um, at the same time. So, so it's very difficult to sort of um, change a transaction on a blockchain and that's what makes it so credible and that's what makes it such a, um, you know, a, a great, a great technology. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Young Professional African Edition. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on Apple Music, Spotify, or whatever platform that you use to listen to podcasts. And if you enjoyed the show, give us a like and a follow. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at yp_africa. underscore Africa. That's yp_africa. underscore Africa. 
And if you've missed an episode, don't stress. You can catch up on our YouTube channel, YP underscore Africa. Like and subscribe, guys. Like and subscribe. That's it from us, guys. See you next week.